presence of the Lord. Praise God. Thank you. Amen. It is our honor today to uh, have with us Pastor Michael and Damaris Ophiel. They were here in January, and some of you may have been here that day and heard them minister and, and uh, was blessed by their ministry. And um, I'd, um, I've known of their ministry for quite some time and their father, and, and, um, but never knew them personally until we had a, um, the upper room with Apostle uh, Andre uh, up there at the upper room in Columbus and got to meet uh, Michael and uh, their family. And uh, just, you know, every once in a while, you'll just feel a God connection. And I don't know if we even spoke that time or not, just passing, but uh, whenever the Spirit of the Lord, when you have a, a, a familiar spirit and understand what I'm talking about, you just, you don't even have to talk to anybody. You just know that you're connected in some way. And so I knew then that I needed to have them come to this house and release what God had put in them. And so I invited them to back because I, Renee and I weren't here in January, but you all were and blessed by that. And uh, so I invited them back today to be with us, not only in the 10 o'clock, but a special 6 o'clock service tonight. And so we're going to be blessed by their ministry today. Amen. Amen. Would you welcome the man of God this morning as he comes, Pastor Michael. Amen. Bless yourself. Praise God. Bless you. Amen. Now, will you stand on your feet and give God praise this morning one more time? Yeah. Will you stay standing with me just for a moment? He is worthy. Amen. He's worthy. It's my privilege and honor to stand before you again in this house. It was an honor to be with you in January. I'm excited about what the Lord is going to do in this room today, not just this morning, but tonight. And I want to honor your pastor and his wife, honor their family, and uh, the, the great ministry and kingdom church that is here in this place. And if you will, will you just bow your head with me and let us go to the Lord in prayer this morning uh, before we dive into the word. Father, we love you. We thank you. And God, I thank you that you are raising up a church here that will be known for the presence that this place carries. And God, I thank you that you are getting ready to do something incredible in this house. And God, as the pastor said a moment ago, I thank you that the conditions are right for you to do something amazing. And so God, I pray that in these next moments that your word would go forth like fire. And your word would illuminate our understanding and you would stir our hearts, not just to be stirred, but to action and to boldness. And we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Before you're seated, I want you to tell somebody it is not by might or by power, but it's by his spirit. And you could be seated this morning. I want you to go to Zechariah chapter 4 with me this morning. I want to come from a uh, semi-popular passage of scripture, especially in the Pentecostal rounds. But I believe that the Lord wants us to glean something from this. I will tell you, I believe that sons of oil are getting ready to rise up out of this house. Uh, that, that's, I, the Lord has sent me to say many things this, this day. But I believe that one of the things this morning is that sons of oil are getting ready to rise up out of this house. And uh, when I was praying, I really just believe that the Lord was speaking to me that this house will not be known necessarily for its strategies and its programs but I heard the Lord say that my glory will be the draw of this house my glory would be the draw of this house and uh, so tonight we're going to really just stay in in two books of the Bible back to back tonight we're going to be in Haggai so we're going to start in Zechariah first but tonight Lord willing will be in Haggai and uh I want to start in chapter 4, and we're just going to work verse by verse and take the revelation that has been given uh, and the revelation the Lord wants us to see verse by, word, verse by verse. But first, historically, you have to understand that in Zechariah, in this time, the Babylonian captivity is over. 
the people of Israel are returning under the leadership of Zerubbabel, the governor. And another group would then come under Ezra to reinstate the law. Another group, a third group, would come under Nehemiah to rebuild the wall. And Haggai would come to motivate them to rebuild the temple. Haggai and Zechariah both operated in the same time period. They would speak to the same people. So there were two prophets carrying an international ministry that would motivate and speak to this people to rebuild the temple. The temple had been destroyed. Solomon's temple, the first temple had been destroyed. And now Zechariah had come and is now saying, and Haggai had come and is now saying, it's time to rebuild the temple. So in Zechariah chapter 4 verse 1, let's begin. Now the angel who talked with me came back and wakened me as a man who is wakened out of his sleep. That word wakened, it, it, it is a, it's a Hebrew word that means to stir up. He said the, the, the angel of the Lord came to me and he stirred me up as a man that had been wakened out of his sleep. Now, Zechariah was not sleeping. He was not asleep. He said, as a man that was asleep, the angel came and wakened me. How many of you understand that the the father would much rather us be aware than awake? Because you can come to church sometimes and not be awake in the natural, but be aware in the spirit. That something is happening. And so the angel of the Lord came to Zechariah and the Bible said he wakened me. He stirred me up as a man who is stirred out of his sleep. Now I don't know about you, but something of urgency comes on a man who's been awakened out of his sleep by surprise. There's an urgency inside of him. When... I was a child. I remember vividly as a child, I slept in the room that was right down the hallway from my parents, and I had a nightmare one night, and I screamed in my nightmare and woke up. And less than two seconds later, my mother and my father both bust through my door to see what was wrong. Why? Because there was an urgency that had come upon them when they were wakened out of their sleep. And I believe that what God is doing in these days in the church is he is placing an urgency in the body as if a sleeping giant has been awakened out of their sleep. And it is no longer okay for us to stay asleep. It is no longer acceptable for us to be unaware of what is happening in the earth. The kingdom of God is advancing and he needs us to do it. And so Zechariah said, he stirred me up. He stirred me up. In Romans chapter 13, verse 11, the Bible said in that, knowing the time, that now is the high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in the rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering or wantonness, not in strife and ending, envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision to fulfill the lusts thereof. There's a lot to unpack in that scripture. But just understand this. Our goal every day that we get up should be to wake up and put on Christ. That is the way that you do not fall into the lust of the flesh. That is how you walk without strife. That's how you walk without envy. That's how you walk without jealousy. That's how you walk in the miracles that Jesus did. It's how you walk in the, in, in the understanding that Jesus walked in is that you get up and you put on Christ. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 6, the Bible said that uh, d- d- Paul writing to Timothy said to stir up the gifts that are inside of you. Become a Aware of the gifts that are inside of you. And many people will say, well, I don't have any gifts and abilities. If you are filled with the Holy Spirit, there are dormant gifts called the gifts of the Spirit on the inside of you that he is waiting for you to come into awareness of so that you can activate them in your life. 
the gifts of the Spirit. He said, stir up the gifts. Become aware that there is something happening on the inside of you. There is something inside of you that God wants to pull out. It's the same type of awakening that we see in Ezekiel chapter 37. When we see uh, Ezekiel being called out by God into the valley of dry bones. And I love, I love this passage. I love this chapter because he said, the Lord brought me out and he sat me down. It wasn't a pass through. He wanted Ezekiel to be aware that something was wrong. And he sat him down in the midst of the dry bones. And he said to Ezekiel, he said, son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel responded, only you know, only you know. And he said, son of man prophesied to the bones and tell them to come together. And Ezekiel said, I prophesied as I was commanded. And suddenly, out of nowhere, I heard a rattling in the bones. And he said, bone began to come to its bone, just as they were supposed to be. Now, how many of you understand just because there is noise does not mean there's revival? Just because there's noise does not mean that there has a, there's been a receiving of life or a giving back of life. That's what revive means. It means to bring life back into something. So many times we cry for revival, but yet the things that need revive the most stay dead among us. And he said, and so bone came to its bone, and he said, son of man, prophesy to the wind. And so again, he said, I prophesied as I was commanded. And suddenly, the wind began to blow. And skin and muscle came on the bone, and the wind blew into the bodies that were laying around. And the Bible said, suddenly life entered into them, and they stood up an exceeding great army. Now, there is a process there is, a, there is a blueprint for revival that we prophesy to things and they have to come back to life. There is, there is a blueprint for awakening that we prophesy not as we want in our hearts, but as we are commanded. You read the, one of the greatest blueprints of revival in Joel, chapter, in, in, in Joel chapters 1, 2, and 3, the whole book of Joel. In Joel chapter 1, he's going through everything, and then he comes into Joel chapter 2, and he gives him the blueprint for revival. He says, call on those who minister before the Lord. Not the priests who minister before the people, but the priests who minister before the Lord. Why? Because... Those who minister solely before the Lord carry more weight in their prayers than people who are focused on ministering before the people. You got people that minister before people and have no ministry before the Lord. And they're the ones up in the pulpit with the microphone praying for revival. But the one that's bringing revival is the one that's before the Lord praying that God would send revival. And he said, call the people who minister before the Lord to come. And so Ezekiel's standing in this dry bones, and all of the sudden, there's now an army because something had been stirred. Something was awakened. And I just, I pray that we would beg God that when he speaks, something would stir in us. I, I think we are just so programmed to come to church and hear the word of God and leave. We just come to church and hear a good word, and it's great, and we go about our week. We struggle along and we leave. But it, it, it is time that when we hear the word of God, something inside of us just begins to stir. Those wells that have been dormant on the inside of us begin to rise up again because the word of the Lord has gone forth. And so then Zechariah was wakened out of his sleep and he saw something. 
verses 2 through 5 of Zechariah 4. And he said to me, what seest thou? And I said, I have looked, and behold, a candlestick all of gold with a bowl upon the top of it. And his seven lamps thereon and seven pipes to the seven lamps which are upon the top thereof. Now we're going to stop right here for a second because line must be upon line and precept must be upon precept. And so I read things like this. When Zechariah saw seven golden lampstands, I read things that I read in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 12 and 13. John said, and I heard a voice and I turned and saw seven lampstands. And then you read into verse 20 of Revelation chapter 1, and Jesus said, this is the word of the Lord to the seven lampstands, the seven golden bowls, and and going on through all these sevens, and he turns to John and he says, what you have seen are the seven churches. So what Zechariah was seeing was a portrait of the church. A portrait of the church, and that word bowl that he saw on top of them simply means a fountain, a spring, or a reservoir. So back to verse 3. And two olive trees by it, one upon the right side of the bowl, and the other upon the left side thereof. So I answered and spoke to the angel that talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? Then the angel talked with me, answered, and said unto me, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, no, no, my Lord. Zechariah was receiving a vision of the church, the seven golden lampstands, the the light that is set on a hill in in Matthew chapter 6. The light of the world sat on a hill which cannot be hidden. It's the same portrait that God gives in the story of Samson. The name Samson literally means little sun or sunlight. And Delilah means languishing or sorrow. And if, if I, just in telling you those two things, if you would go read the story of Samson and Delilah again, you would have a new revelation that Samson is a perfect portrait of the church and Delilah is a perfect, perfect portrait of the enemy that comes to steal the glory from the church. But God in his mercy, when Samuel cried, do it again, God did it again. And so what we begin to see is that Zechariah is seeing the church. He has no idea what exactly it means. So he asks the angel, and the angel answers him in verses 6 through 10. Then he answered and spoke unto me, saying... This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel. And if I could just change something in here, I would say this is the word of the Lord to one life, church. Saying, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who art thou, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel, before one life, church? You shall become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shouting, Grace, grace unto it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundations of this house in his hand shall also finish it. And you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto you, for who hath despised the day of small beginnings? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven eyes. They are the seven eyes of the Lord, which run to and fro throughout the earth. And this was the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel concerning the reconstruction of the temple. And the first thing the Lord said was not by might. That word might means force of resource, wealth, or activity. Not by power. Word means vigor, ability, force of produce, or fruits. 
So what he was saying to Zerubbabel, what he was saying to the people, it is not by your force of resource. It's not by your wealth. It is not even by your ability to do. It's not by your vigor and it is not by what you have produced. But it is by something that is greater than all of those. It is by my spirit. The word spirit here is the, is the Hebrew word ruach. And it literally is translated to mean breath of God. The breath, so it's not by my worldly resource. It's not by my money. It is not by my abilities. It is not by my strength. It's not by my intuition and creativity. But it is because of the breath of God. There are so many churches today that are creative. They have creative people. They have creative finance. They have amazing resource, but they have no breath. And if we have no breath, we are not a church. The, the, come on, somebody. The true and living church was created when God breathed on the day of Pentecost, and it has been sustained by the breath of God even unto today. And so I've come to tell you, it is not by your money. It's not by your creative power. It is not by your resource. It's not by your strength. But it is by the spirit of the living God. I read things like this in Joel chapter 2 and verse 28. He said, and afterward I would pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy. And your young men will see visions. And your handmaidens will see dreams. And even on the servants and handmaidens of those days would I pour out of my spirit. In Ezekiel chapter 36 verse 27 the bible said i would put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes in the book of hosea chapter 6 and 3 he said if we continue after him he would come as the rain as the former and the latter rain unto the end of the earth then i read in isaiah chapter 28 in verse 9 beginning he said whom shall he teach knowledge and to whom shall he make to understand wisdom those that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast for pre Precept must be upon precept, line upon line, and line upon line, here a little, and there a little. For with stammering lips in another tongue shall he speak to this people, and this shall cause the weary to find rest. And then we read things in Isaiah 44 and 3. He said, I'll pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. In John chapter 7, the Bible said Jesus stood on the great day, the last day of the feast, and stood and cried, saying, If any man be thirsty, let him come unto me and drink, and out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And this spake he of the Spirit. In the book of John chapter 14, Jesus said, I will pray the Father, and he will send you another helper who will abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, for the world is has not seen him, neither do they know him. And then you step into the book of Acts chapter 2. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, there was a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind that filled the house where they were sitting. And cloven tongues of fire sat on their head, and they began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. And then you begin to walk through See, we have confused what the Spirit of God is for in the earth. It is not so we can shout and dance. It is not so we can speak in tongues. It is not so we can prophesy. It is not just so that we can have wisdom where there is no wisdom, but it is so that we can stand with boldness and declare that Jesus died and he got back up again and he lives forever. And then you step into Acts chapter 3 and you see Paul and you see Paul, or you see Peter, my fault. You see Peter and John walking into the city and they come on a gate called Beautiful and a lame man sitting by the gate and begging alms of those passing by. And Peter said, what can I do for you? Silver and gold have I none, but such I have I give unto thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And the Bible said immediately, not a couple minutes later, not a couple months later, but immediately the man leapt to his feet and went about rejoicing. Then you read in the book of Acts chapter 4, Paul, Peter, and John 
they're being tried as if they committed some sin by healing this man. And Peter in Acts chapter 4 and verse 8 said, you rulers of the people of Israel. In fact, chapter 4 verse 8 begins like this. And Peter being full of the Holy Ghost said to the people, you men of, you men of Israel and you elders of the people, if we this day be examined by what deeds are done to impotent man, by what means is he made whole, but let it be known unto you that it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you whole. For this is the stone that the builders rejected, and he has now become the head of the corner. And he said, neither is there salvation in any other name under heaven, whereby men must be saved. And then in verse 13, the Bible said, when the people saw the boldness of Peter and John, they understood that they were unlearned and uneducated men, but that they had been with Jesus. They didn't have a degree. They didn't have a degree in business. They didn't have a degree in ministry. They didn't have a degree in pastoral arts, but they had been with Jesus. They had been with the one who sent the Holy Ghost as a baptizer. Then you step into Acts chapter 5 and verse 12, and the Bible said that by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought in the streets. Then in verse 15, the Bible said so much so that they brought their sick into the streets that just the shadow of Peter might cross over them. How full of the Holy Ghost must have Peter been? How full of the Spirit must Peter have been that even his shadow carried healing? Come on. How full of the Holy Ghost? They didn't come to hear the apostles' seminars. They didn't come to hear the apostles talk about how they grew the church. They laid their sick in the street. Just, just the shadow of Peter might cross over them. And that they would be, oh, that they would be healed. On and on and on. On and on through the book of Acts. Healing after healing. Miracle after miracle. People receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Coming to know the saving power of Jesus. The kingdom advancing. I've come to tell you something. We have made the book of Acts so supernatural that it's unreachable. We, we have almost, in a sense, idolized the book of Acts. That it has become something that was done then. There are 39 recorded miracles, healings, in the book of Acts. Only one of them happened in the church. Only one. We have, we have supernaturalized the book of Acts out of practicality. But can I tell you something? In that same book of Acts, in verse 10 and verse 38, chapter 10, verse 38, Peter is preaching now to the Gentiles at the house of Cornelius. And he says, And you have heard of Jesus of Nazareth, whom God anointed with the Holy Ghost. And he, God, what? God anointed Jesus with the Holy Ghost? So you're telling me that Jesus needed the Holy Ghost? He anointed him with the Holy Ghost and he went about doing good to all them that were oppressed and healing all that were sick because God was with him. Because Jesus came to the earth to show men how to live. Acts is not some supernaturalized, unpractical, unrealistic thing that we cannot accomplish. But we have the same Holy Ghost that God put on Jesus is the same Holy Spirit that dwells inside of you and of me. And we have the authority to get so full of the Holy Ghost that when our shadow touches something that's not right, it becomes right again. That even when our fingertips are doing work, something that's wrong becomes right because of what is inside of us. In Acts chapter 17, let me tell you something. This breaks me because this was the indictment against that church. This was the indictment. This was the charge against the early church. Not because of their might. Not because of their power. 
but because of his spirit. In Acts 17, 6, the Bible said, and they went about, and these are the men that have turned their world upside down. That sounds a lot different than the indictment against the church today. Because today, the indictment against the body is these are the men who did me wrong in the business deal. Come on now. The indictment against the church today, these are the men. These are they which have talked about me and have spread lies about me. against the church is these are they that try to tell us how to be married but their marriages aren't even something to look up to I'm sorry no I'm not really sorry I'm not really sorry we got a problem we got a problem and it's too much wealth and power too much might and power and not enough Holy Spirit uh, these, these are they that have judged people that need love the most right out of the church. That's the indictment against this church. Not, not this one, but the church of today. This is the indictment against the church of today. The body of Christ in the earth, especially in America today. It's the indictment against our church. I'm just wondering when people are going to get so fed up with that being the charge that they get so full of the Holy Ghost that people start pointing at the church again and saying, this is the people that have turned their world upside down. And it was not because they had money. It was not because they were creative. It was not because they had programs and strategies. It was not because they could sing good and their worship was exciting and energetic. It was because they dwelled and had the spirit of the living God abiding with them in every aspect of who they are. Yeah. yeah. That's what it is. We, we cannot continue to do church without the breath. We cannot continue to do church without the ruach of God and without his glory resting among us. Hmm. When did we become so... Uh, when did we become so compromising... When do we become so settled? <laughs> that God couldn't just come down and wreck us. I I'll tell you this. I've taken on the, we've taken on the mantra at our church in Columbus. We will not compare, we will not criticize, and we will not compete. I will not compare our church to another. I will not criticize another church for doing what they think is right. And I will not, I will not compete with them. I won't. But I'll tell you this. You can have all the money in the world and still not match up to the Holy Spirit of the living God. The world has millions, billions, trillions and if the church only has hundreds, but has the Spirit of God, it's more than enough. It's more than enough. And then, then God makes promises to Zerubbabel. Promise number one dealt with a great mountain. And the angel of the Lord said unto this mountain, who are you? <laughs> I love that. Who do you think you are to stand before the plan of God? Sometimes as a church and as a people, 
You just have to look at those mountains and ask them, who are you? Stop idolizing mountains. Come on. Stop idolizing challenges because nothing is too hard for the Lord. He said, who are you? (laughs) Who are you? And you know what? Why don't you just do that? Why don't you just get that impossibility in your mind right now? Come on. Just think about it, whether it's for the church or whether it's for yourself personally. You've got mountain in front of you. I just want you to say it on the count of three. Tell the mountain who are you on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. Oh, come on. Some of y'all know exactly what the mountain is because you have spent more time knowing your mountain than you have knowing your mountain moving God. Let's do it again and act like you've got a father on your side who can squish a mountain with his finger. Come on. One, two, three. Who are you? you? Oh, great mountain. Who do you think you are standing before me like this? Who are you? And the promise of God was this. You will. Not you might, but you will become a plane. That word plane means to make straight or to flatten. Mm, ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Hmm. I just hear the Lord say to one voice, to one life right now, that you will not have to walk around the mountain. Yeah. The Lord says you will not have to walk around this mountain, but I'm going to flatten it. And I will make the path straight. Yeah. Thank you, Holy Spirit. He said, you become plain. Matthew chapter 17, verse 20, Jesus said, because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith... As a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. In Mark chapter 11, verse 22, Jesus said, For verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, he shall have whatsoever. He asks, whatsoever, if you say unto this mountain, be thou removed, get out of the way. And the first promise to Zerubbabel was this, and I believe the first promise to one life is this, who are you, O great mountain, for you shall be flattened. Oh, somebody just received that. You shall be flattened. And promise number two. Promise number two was this. You started it, you will finish it. You know, a lot of times we we give God so much of the work. Hear me here. We put so much of the work on God when God wants to use us to do the work. In 2 Samuel, the Bible said that David, after all of his belongings and family, they were taken. The Bible said that David asked the Lord, shall I go up and fight? And the Lord said to David, go up, pursue, and you shall overtake them, and you shall recover all. Recover all. And David went up, he fought, he did exactly what the Lord said. He pursued them, he overtook them, he got everything back. And David stood in the place of that battle, and he said, I will call this place Baal Perazim. For the Lord has broken through to my enemies with my hand. He didn't do it with his hand. He did it with my hand. God has a plan. See, we use that term all the time, and I'm getting caught up here. We use that term all the time. God has a plan. He does. God has a plan, and it's us. God has a plan and it's us. His plan is to, to advance a kingdom that is, knows no end. He has a plan to advance a kingdom that is sovereign and has no end to it. He has a plan to see the heaven uh, plan come into the earth as it is in heaven, so it be done in the earth. He's got that plan in his heart and he wants to use you and me to do it. You and me. 
Not, not God by his sovereignty just making people's minds want to come to the church and get saved, but you and I going out and advancing the kingdom. He said, you started it, you will finish it. Something has been started in this house that the enemy has tried to deter, and he has tried to bust and break. But God says, you started it, and you will finish it. With shouts of grace, grace unto it. The word grace in this verse just means favor, favor, be on it. Favor, favor, be on it. The message version, I love the message version. The message version says with shouts of yes, yes unto it. You know, I I hear people, and I've thought about this, and, you know, i prayed through it, as to why when the Lord releases a prophetic word, it doesn't come to pass. And a lot of people will put that on a prophet and say, oh, they're a false prophet. No. Some may be. But most of the time, we've not learned how to steward a word. All right, let me teach for a second. We've not learned how to take a word the Lord has given us Hide it in our heart and pray into it. If there's been a prophecy spoken over your life concerning your future or your now, you need to begin to pray into it. Come into agreement with it. That God, as you spoke it, let it be done. As you said it, let it be done. Don't put it on a shelf and forget about it. And what the Lord has spoken to this church must come with a shout of yes, yes, to it coming into agreement with the word that the Lord has spoken that's how oftentimes God uses us to advance his plan that when there's a prophecy put out into the earth there's a prophecy put out into the atmosphere it is my responsibility to grab it come into agreement with it and pray it into existence hmm Pray it into existence. And some people say, how is that even possible? Did you know that the same God that spoke the world into existence is the same God that lives inside of you and me? And the same spirit of God that resides with the Godhead resides in me. And in Genesis chapter 1, when God said, when the Bible said, and God created the heavens and the earth... It was the same word used in the book of John chapter 1 where he said, and the word was with God at the beginning. And in Acts chapter 12 and verse 5, the Bible said, as Peter was in a prison cell getting ready to be killed, the Bible said, and the church made prayer. The word made means to create. You have the authority, the ability, and the power to create things in prayer. To make it happen. And I, I, I'll just tell you, and I have the same frustration up in Columbus with, with, with our churches that we have this thing where people are so, all right, okay, I'm just going to say it. People are just selfish. I'm sorry if that hurt your feelings. Let the Spirit of God convict you. People are just, they're, they're, they're self-centered. So when they come to church, it is all about what I can get and what I need for my life today. And that's a great thing about coming together with believers. Sometimes that happens. My question is, when are we going to become a place that realizes that the kingdom is much bigger than me? And I need to pray into my church. I need to invest into the body. I need to pray into what God has spoken over this house. Does that make sense? And so it has to stop being about me and my, but it has to become, Lord, what you're speaking over one life, what you're speaking over the kingdom, I shout unto it, yes, yes. Favor, favor. Grace, grace. Grace, grace. And then promise number three, he said the despisers will rejoice. 
<laughs> oh, man. The haters can't hate anymore when God does what he's about to do in this house. It means disrespect or shamed. That's what the word despised me. And when the disrespect, the ones that disrespected and shamed what was happening, when they see it, they will rejoice. They will rejoice. And then he said toward the end of that, the, the seven eyes, those eyes that run to and fro, those seven eyes is perfect. The Lord's perfect and complete sight. What, what does that mean? The yes, God is using us to do it, but he's watching over us. To make sure that it gets done. And not that it gets done in a boss sort of way. To make sure that every word that he spoke comes to pass. Why? Because he's faithful. He's faithful. So we understand there was an awakening that happened. That led led Zechariah to understanding that it was not going to happen by might. It was not going to happen by power, but it was by the spirit. And there were three promises that came. The mountain will be flattened. What we started will finish. And those that hated it will rejoice in it. Here's how that happens. Chapter 4 of Zechariah, verse 11. Then answered I and said unto him, what are these two olive trees upon the right side of the candlestick and upon the left side thereof? I like Zechariah. Because the angel gave him like a bit, like the first part of that, the angel gave it to him. Zachariah said, okay, that's great. What's this other part? He wasn't going to be satisfied until he got the answer. And I answered again and said unto him, what be these two olive branches, which through the two golden pipes empty the golden oil out of themselves? And he answered me and said, knowest thou not what these be? And I said, no. Then said he, these are the two anointed ones. That stand by the Lord of the whole earth. The source, two olive trees. Romans chapter 11 verse 17 said, And if some of the branches be broken off, and you, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them partake of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. Can I, can I tell you something? More and more nowadays, I am beginning to understand that Jesus is the center of everything in the scriptures. He, he, is, he is what everything revolves around. He said, you partake of the root and the fat. I read things about a root, and I read it like this in Isaiah 11.10. The Bible said that Jesus is the root of Jesse. He's the root. He's the source. Revelation 5 and 5, the Bible said John looked and beheld and he saw the root of David, the source of David. And so I begin to understand that these two olive trees, these things that produce oil, got their source from Jesus. He was the source. It was, it was again, not their might, not their power. But the source of all things, which is Jesus, in him all things consist and all things dwell. He is the image of the invisible God, Jesus Christ. That word fatness means plumpness, richness, or oiliness. There were two olive branches that came from these trees. The branches remind us of a a story in John chapter 15 where Jesus was talking about the vine and the vine dresser. consumer church that there are so many people dying on the vine there are so many people that confess and profess to abide in him but there's nothing coming out of them that would say I abide in him these branches emptied themselves out oil was just pouring out of them because what they were connected to would not let them just sit 
And I would say to, 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 the, to the body that if we just come and sit, are we really connected to Jesus? If we just come and observe, are we really connected? Do we really have a revelation of Jesus Christ? I'll tell you something I have found in my life over the last months that it is impossible to gaze into eyes of fire and stay the same. It is impossible to hear voices like a voice like many waters and stay the same. And I'll be honest with you, and I might talk about this a little bit tonight and try not to get ahead of myself. But I'll be honest with you that our barometer of a good church service is pitiful. barometer of a good service is if somebody runs, there's a message in tongues, there's a prophetic word, somebody dances, there's good things that happen, I get a chill bump, I cry. Can we eliminate that barometer and raise it where it should be? If we leave this house and we have not gazed into eyes of fire, then our coming together was for nothing. Can we raise the barometer a little bit? Because our measurement of church has been so skewed and it has been so man-made and Jesus is saying, I've been here the whole time and I'm just waiting for somebody to catch these eyes. I'm just waiting for somebody to hear a voice as it sounds like many waters. I'm waiting for somebody to see my hair that's white like wool and my feet like brass. And can I tell you something? The real Jesus cannot be contained in systems. He cannot be contained in programs. He cannot be contained in song sets. If he's in the room he will come to the front. He will come to the front. And if we can just, if it's possible for us to just sit. We we have not truly seen him like he ought to be seen. You know, spiritually, this is the most out of shape the church has ever been in history. Because we sit here week after week, and some of y'all are like, man, he is bashing the church. No, I'm just telling you, there is something wrong. I love church. I love coming together with people of like faith. I love being together, but my goodness, what have we come to? Something is wrong when we sit here week after week after week after week after week. And we take in revelation and we eat from the table of God, but we don't invite anybody to sit at the table. I heard it said once that Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where he found the bread. What what has happened to us that we sit and we just eat and we eat and we eat. And we come back to church the next week and we've not let any of that revelation affect our life. And so we keep on eating and we keep on eating. And then we've not put into practice what we've learned and we keep on eating. And now you've got people that think, oh, I've learned all I can learn. I know all I can know. You don't know nothing. That's not even the right English, but that's all right. You don't know nothing until you put what you have learned into your life. Luke chapter 24, I'm going to tell this story really quick and then we're going to move. Luke chapter 24, Jesus is walking. He is just raised from the dead. He is walking to a town called Emmaus. He comes in with two disciples who are very depressed because according to Jesus, they are fools and they're slow hearted to believe. I love Jesus, man. He just told them. And he said, fools, slow, like they're literally walking with Jesus, telling him what just happened to him. How dumb could you be? <laughs> oh, man, that's like, oh, never mind. Anyways, so they're telling Jesus, yeah, they had this man, and he was, said he was the father, and we followed him, and said he was the image of the father, and we followed him, and, you know, they hung him on a tree. And the Bible said their eyes were holding it. They should not know, and I could just see Jesus looking at his hands like, yeah, I know. And, and feeling those stripes on his back. and saying, yeah, I know. I know. And they kept on walking, and when they were done, Jesus said, fools, 
slow of heart to believe all the prophets had said. And the Bible said, beginning at Moses, he took them all the way up to present day, telling them about who he was. That's a transcript of a message I'd like to have. Because what about the things that aren't written in the Bible? I, I think you might have told me, you remember when, remember when Moses saw the burning bush? I was there. Remember when Moses, I was Moses' staff. Remember when he stretched it out and the water split? Remember hearing that? Yeah, that was me. I was there. I'm talking with him and talking with him. And the Bible said they come to a place where they would stop. And Jesus made as if he would go further. But something inside of them said, he's got to stay with us. And they grabbed him and they said, come and stay. They brought him into the house where they were. And the Bible said they sat at the table and they broke bread. And the Bible said when Jesus broke the bread and he blessed it. This was common. This was not communion. This was not some feast. This is just men that were hungry and needed to sit down and eat. That's when God does his most extraordinary work. Is when we allow him to interrupt our common moments with Jesus. He broke the bed, he blessed it, he gave it to them. And the Bible said their eyes were open. And notice what they said. I think if it would have been 21st century church, they probably would have said, wow, what a great message. Wow, what a great worship set. Did, did not we cry many tears? Did not I speak in many tongues? That's not what they said at all. They looked at each other and said, did not our heart burn within us? Did not our heart burn within us? As he talked with us, by the way, and he opened up the scriptures. Right there, Jesus was redefining what a good message should do was redefining, redefining what an encounter with him should be like. Did not my heart burn within me? Uh, all right. And then he said, so these two branches get their source from the olive tree. And he said, two anointed ones. In the Hebrew, that is translated, sons of oil. In the scriptures, they are Zerubbabel and Joshua. They're unnamed because God always has sons of oil feeding oil into the church. Come on. And I, I want you to understand something because there's, there's something that if you're not paying attention, it will sneak right past you. The, the angel said, these are two anointed ones that stand by the Lord. There are many people today that have an anointing that they have gotten from nothing other than just staying by the Lord. Come on. There are many people today that try to sing, but they're not anointed. Or they piggyback off an, uh, the, the worship leader's anointing. Don't get me started on that because I'm a worship leader too. They, they piggyback on the pastor's anointing. But Zerubbabel and Joshua stood by the Lord. They said, if we're going to be sons of oil, I got to be close to the source of the oil. <laughs> Come on, somebody. And if, we, if we're going to be a church, if we're going to be a body that, 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 that raises up sons of oil, then we've got to provide a place where we can be close to the root of the oil. Sons of oil. Daughters of oil. People that just, I want to be close to him. If for nothing else, just to get some of that oil. I want to be close to him. I want to know him. I want to know what makes him tick. I want to know what makes him pleased and what makes him unhappy. I want to know what pleases his heart. I want to know what he wants me to do in the earth. I want to know what he's doing in my church. I want to know what he's doing in the kingdom, in the church as a whole. I want to know these things. And so if for no other reason, I just want to stay close to him. I just want to be right up next to him. 
Come on, church. I want to be right up next to him. I want to be close. I, 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 I'm, tired of, I'm tired of trying to do ministry from a faraway place. I'm try, tired of doing ministry like the other apostles that knew him from afar off. Come on. I want demons to know who I know. I want demons to know that when I come around, they better start running. Not because of me, but because of who I'm close to. Come on. In the book of Acts, the seven sons of Sceva come, come up on a demon and they tried to cast him out. And they said, Paul, we know, Peter, we know. And Jesus, we know. But who are you? <laughs> because you got a lot of people trying to piggyback off an anointing. Number one, they didn't pay for. And number two, that they have not stayed close enough to the Lord to receive. And I just believe, I believe that there are sons of oil, there are daughters of oil that are rising up in this house. Yeah. And the Lord is going to resource this body with oil. Hmm. My God. And this is what happens. In Psalm 92 and 10, David said, he will anoint me with fresh oil. (laughs) Fresh oil. Not long and nasty and old oil. Fresh oil. I don't know if you've ever smelled old oil. It is not pleasant. In Ecclesiastes chapter 10. The Bible said that flies, flies dirty the anointing oil of the apothecary. And if we're not careful, our old oil will start to attract flies. Ain't nobody in this room want to be touched with oil that's got flies in it. So why do we expect to live that way? He said, he anoints my head with fresh oil. Fresh, new everyday oil. New everyday oil. Fresh oil. And I just believe that sons and daughters are getting ready to rise up with fresh oil just pouring out of them. And here's how that happens. Not by might, not by power, but by his spirit. I feel the Holy Ghost in this room. Not by our creation. See, money never gave anybody an anointing. Televangelists want to tell you if you buy this water or you buy this cloth, you can have his anointing. Paul never sold a cloth. He said, stir up the gifts that are in you by the laying on of my hands. And people are so duped into believing that they can pay money for the anointing. And Peter rebuked, Peter rebuked Simon the sorcerer when he said, let me give you money and give me this ability to lay hands on people. And they received the Holy Ghost. And Peter, under the influence of the Holy Ghost, said, your money die with you. Because you can't buy this kind of anointing. You can't purchase this kind of oil. (laughs) So we see where it's fresh. But that it's always flowing. Lastly, in 2 Kings chapter 4, read the story of Elijah, who has come to a widow woman. And she says, man of God, my husband, the prophet, is dead. Many scholars believe that her husband was the prophet Obadiah. She said, my husband, the prophet, is dead, and the creditor is coming. Yeah. The devil is a dirty, rotten, filthy little punk. There's no, there's no better way to refer to him. He's just a punk. And his, his strategies have never changed. The creditor is coming to steal something from me. 
creditor is coming to steal my children, to steal my sons. Sons are representation of ministry. He's coming to steal my sons. And the prophet said, go get vessels and not a few. And go take yourself into the room. And the first question he asked was, what do you have? I believe God even wants to stir up somebody in this room to just be aware of what you have in your house. She said, he said, what do you have in the house? She said, nothing except a pot of oil. Now, Elijah did not rebuke her for referring to the oil as nothing. He just simply said, go get vessels. Because if you've got oil, everything else is going to be all right. He said, go get vessels. And when God vessels, they shut themselves in a room. And the Bible said that as she poured and poured and kept on pouring, she had more than enough to pay the creditors, and she lived the rest of her life off the rest. <laughs> Why? Because of oil. Hmm. Because of oil. Stand to your feet all over this room. Will you just lift your hands right there where you are at and just let a worship come out of you? Come on, this is, this is a welcoming committee for the Holy Spirit right now. Your worship, your praise is a welcoming committee to the Holy Spirit right now. Yeah, this is, your, this is a welcoming committee for the Holy Spirit to just come and sit with us, to abide with us, to stay with us. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, yes, Holy Spirit. Yes, Holy Spirit, we love you. We love your ministry. We love your person. We love who you are. We love who you are. Yeah. I, yeah, thank you, Holy Spirit. I don't want to take a lot of time here, but I, I, I want to just obey the Holy Spirit. And, and, you know, we'll come back tonight and maybe take our time a little bit. But if you're in this room and you will just say that connected to the word that's on this house, I desire to be a son of oil, a daughter of oil. I want you to get out from where you're standing and just come. Come on, you say, 